Well, good morning again, everybody, and we are, we only have two more Sundays left in Psalm 23, and uh, I, I mentioned this the last couple of weeks, I've really enjoyed studying it, and, and uh, my hope at the very beginning was to encourage us in our intimacy with Christ, and uh, sometimes intimacy is a word that, at least for guys, they're, you gross, even when you're old, and... Um, and, but at least what I've noticed uh, personally is just, just the goodness of God, and I appreciated what Tim had said uh, about giving the background of that, that hymn about how he leads us. So with that, if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, I invite you to turn to Psalm 23. We're going to read all six verses. This morning I'm going to read from the New King James Version, and um, just to read the different versions throughout our time together. These 12 weeks will be in Psalm 23. And it reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A brief prayer. God, thank you again for your word and this opportunity to come and gather in your name, Lord. Prepare our hearts to receive your word. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We also pray for the other churches that proclaim your name and for the services that are taking place, that has taken place, and that will. And we just thank you again that we are part of your kingdom. And uh, we just pray that this brings you glory. So prepare our hearts by your spirit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. You may have a seat. So to be honest, one of the uh, verses that I was most looking forward to um, when considering going 12 weeks into Psalm 23 was, The Lord is my shepherd. And uh, there was two that I was, I was anxious, nervous about because I felt like it was so broad. And, and so how, how could I possibly talk about these things in just one Sunday? And, and the first one, I think I had mentioned it before, is how the Lord restores our soul. And we talked about the Sabbath and resting and spending time with him and his word. And, and, um, and also probably the fact that I don't necessarily take great Sabbaths, um, I, I'm I'm work in progress. I think many of us are, um, but even if you are all nailing it, I'm still not. And uh, the other one uh, was this one: surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. It, it's a good anxious, not a, a bad anxious. Uh, just the excitement of just really seeing how good God is and how merciful He is. And and when we began studying Psalm 23. I just had this continual um, expectation of the Good Shepherd just viewing that. And then the ongoing focus that through this series, the faithfulness of God and how King David reflected that in his life. And now, I believe that King David wrote this much later in his life and he was reflecting on his life and seeing how God had walked with him, but also being reassured that God's goodness isn't just something of the past, but something in the future and in the present, 
But perhaps that concept of God being good and merciful in the past, we can, we can see that. Yeah, I remember when he was good. Almost as if we treat God like a, a, a human father. Yeah, I remember that time my dad was good, or my mom was good, my grandfather was good, my friend was good. I remember that time. That's probably not too difficult for those of us who are following Christ, even if you've just recently accepted Christ. Or perhaps we look forward to the future. Yeah, God's good. In the future, he's going to make this all right. Can't wait until he comes and gets us or takes me home or whatever the language is. Very true, very real, very scriptural. But I think perhaps maybe as a follower of Christ, sometimes the difficult is in the then and now, right now. And if we're honest, we, we say God is good. You know, uh, the church that I grew up in, we, I would say God is good all the time. Huh? Huh? All right. And then all the time, right? Okay. Now you're picking up. Some of people are like, what? What? Huh? High church or what? No. But we said that. And, and actually, we said that probably three times in the service. And, and almost it was, you know, almost like a prayer. Dear God, thank you for this food through the teeth, over the gums. Watch out, stomach, here it comes. Like, like just, just, this is just what you said. This is what you repeated. This is just as what. But do you believe it? That God's good all the time. And, and sometimes in the present when you're going through things, you believe it in your head, but maybe your heart is arguing with you. Or maybe your immediate future. I mean, right now, is anyone looking forward to going to work tomorrow, Monday, with the time change? No one's raising your hand. I mean, anyone think about last night when you're going to bed, putting your kids to bed, re- finally remembering that it was time change, and you thought they're either going to wake up at 3 a.m. or m- noon? Like this, even the small things can, can sometimes overwhelm us. And it's really not that we don't believe that God is good and merciful when we're in the middle of it. I think it's really that we lose focus because the hurt and the pain is so loud. The worrying is so loud. The situation outweighs, or at least is louder than our belief in God is good. And then we're worried that, oh, I can't say that out loud. I can't think that. I can't ask that as a prayer request because what will people think? Or what will God think? Well, God knows. He He understands. But what David is saying here is he's saying, look at verse 6 again. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. All of them. Even the one I'm in now. Even as he looked back and thought of all of the enemies. And a couple of weeks ago I read the list. I won't do that again of all of his enemies. Part 1, 2, and 3 and his family. And as I was considering this, I was just thinking, perhaps sometimes we just lose sight that God is actually good and that he actually cares right now and not just vaguely in the future or that perhaps we forget that God is good individually as well as corporately or as in groups. And as I was considering this, I was having a conversation with a few people just a couple of days ago on this topic of God's goodness. And as I was listening to this conversation unfold... Um, and then I invited myself into the conversation. Um, it dawned on me that it's easy to believe that God's goodness, it's easy to believe it and see it and the songs that we sing and the knowledge and, and we've sung it and we repeat it. And then, and then the one person said, yeah, but right now it hurts. But right now it hurts. 
It's not that I don't believe that God is good. It just hurts right now. And really what David meant then here is surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And you can add, even when it hurts right now, even when it's bad right now. So what does it mean not just to know in our head and in our theology and the songs that we sing of the goodness of God, but how do we get it to our stubborn hearts and our current expectations of our circumstances? So how does it go from a mantra to a statement of belief in our hearts? And I would suggest that it's ongoing. And before we jump in and talk about surely, we're going to talk about the word surely, the word goodness and mercy. Mercy also means the unfailing love of the merciful God and follow me all of my days of my life. As I was considering this, just to think about it more, it's interesting how God always at least for me, he, when I'm preparing, he shows me things or I get, I get to experience things and listen to conversation. And uh, I take notes so that way I don't forget. And those are most of my illustrations and, and uh, sometimes they just come back. But as I was considering this just this past Friday, Natalie and I went to the kids' school award ceremony. And no, this is not just a proud, proud dad moment. Yay, my kids got an award. But they did get an award. And and I'm a big fan of making people feel uncomfortable when they get awards because I yell out their name. <laughs> and, um, and some are academic, some are citizenship, and, and they range in, you know, perfect attendance or not perfect attendance. And, and, and what I was thinking is, is it's so fun and easy to watch when your kid is getting an award and the gladness and the thanksgiving that you feel and you praise the Lord, thank you, Lord, that they got an award this trimester. But then I was thinking as I was walking out, um, what about last semester when the kids didn't get an award? What about then? What about when things aren't going well? Things at your house. You say God is good when you buy a house and when you make a sale, when you bring in a new partner, when you get a new contract, when your marriage is good, week in and week out, you praise the Lord for good health. He's good, but what about all the other stuff when your kids don't get an award, when they're struggling in school, and you're sitting down at the coffee table with them trying to do the homework that you still have no clue because you didn't have a clue back when you were doing it, <laughs> or whenever you get medical news, and as you notice, I'm spending a lot of time just trying to bring up the fact that life happens, but yet God is still good, and, and again, how do we go from this head belief, this knowledge to a heart belief that changes their life. And as I was studying this thought of goodness and mercy of God, I was looking through commentaries throughout the different centuries, and, and there's different descriptions of what this goodness and mercy is, this analogy. I like what D.L. Moody called God's goodness and mercy are like his two angels at arms. Philip Keller, the, the book that I've been basing this series, this thought out of, the shepherd's view of Psalm 23, he calls God's goodness and mercy two faithful sheepdogs pursuing the flock on behalf of the presence of the good shepherd. I like that. Just yesterday, my family and I, we ran a 10K with a cop. Well, let me qualify that. Ryder ran a 10K with a cop. The other Jacksons walked two miles with no cops. Okay, so <laughs> they were running, we were walking. Anyways, but beforehand, you can make fun of me if you're a runner, that's fine. 
Um, but beforehand, there was a canine officer, and he was out there with his dog, and he was talking about his partnership between him and a dog. And the advantage of being a walker instead of a runner, you can have conversations. But anyways, he was talking about his dog, and he said, he knows me. My dog knows me. I've had him since he was 10 months old. And he says, he knows what's going on. He doesn't need me to even say words. He can tell by my cadence, my deflection in my words, even by my smell. He knows me. And I was thinking about that good shepherd, the good shepherd, God, our good shepherd, his goodness and mercy knows the good shepherd. So if God is the good shepherd, then goodness and mercy is like a good shepherd's sheepdogs. Here's a picture of a two sheepdogs. And what I appreciate is there's an older one, a younger one, but they're an extension of the good shepherd. And you can't really make it out because I think I cut it off, but the shepherd's just left to the screen there. But the dogs are watching the sheep while paying attention to the good shepherd. And that's what God's goodness and mercy is. Just a few notes considering a sheepdog as we really try to drive in this goodness and mercy of God. They come from the shepherd, the sheepdog. They are an extension of the shepherd's desire. They are always leading out in front and in the back. They usually work in twos. Their first priority, and this is a big one, is their obedience to the shepherd. So God's goodness and mercy is obedience to God himself. They work in pairs well and Again, one the commentary described it, the hands and feet of Christ, which is goodness and mercy. And even right now, you can go online and you can watch sheepdog competition. I did that a little bit the other day, and it's fascinating to watch. The shepherd blows the whistle, and the dog immediately knows what to do. So let's consider this, this goodness and this mercy of God, especially if you're here this morning and things aren't good, and you don't feel very in tune with the goodness of God and you're feeling down. So let's consider what King David meant. He writes surely at the beginning. This, this word really means in Hebrew, without a doubt, it's not in question. I shouldn't even have to say it. It's not a question when things are good and when they are bad. When I am doing well or when I'm doing bad, surely it's a foundational statement and if you want to get a little bit nerdy in Hebrew, this surely interrupts the flow of David's poem, if you will, his saying by just saying, I know I don't have to say it, but just in case I do, pay attention to the next part. So the way the Hebrew comes across is, is the, the verbs and nouns are a little bit confusing. That's why sometimes translation takes a while to, for us to fully grasp it because our English doesn't match up to it, which is totally fine. But this is like an interruption, if you will. Pay attention to this part. Without David, King David is saying, without me having to say it, but just in case you don't get it, this is a truth. And then he goes on and says, goodness and mercy. Another translation for the word mercy is your unfailing love. And this first shows up, this goodness understanding first shows up in Genesis when God creates everything after he makes everything. What does he say? It is good. And the reason why it is good, it's because it was made by God. And as humans, we are image bearers of Christ, of God, the Father. And of course, sin has tainted that. But now, 
it's still this goodness, this understanding that this was God's intention right from the beginning. It was good because he made it. And many times when we see goodness and mercy together, it's the physical manifestation of God. It's called theophany, if you want to know. So any times that, that, that you're reading through the Bible and you see that God appears in a burning bush, or you see an angel appear, or you see Christ when he comes to earth, it, it's a theophany. It just means the manifestation. And whenever you see the manifestation of God in the present, it represents both his goodness and mercy together. One theologian wrote, he said, this represents the events of intense presence that underline the principle that God is always present with his people and that he is faithful to his word and his covenant because he is, I am. So this goodness and mercy hand in hand since the beginning. Psalm 106, which David later writes, reads, Psalm 106 reads, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love or mercy of love endures forever. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? Who can ever praise him enough? There is joy for those who deal justly with others and do what is right. You notice that? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And then one more, Psalm 34, verses 8 and 9. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Of the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord You, his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. The Lord is good. And it's the good shepherd that's good. And this theme that David is writing is going back and forth from the good shepherd to the the, uh, good host. And now he's combining the two, saying, my cup, from verse 5, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And then surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. See, what David is reflecting on is when he takes a moment to look back at who God is, and it's who, not what he is, but who he is, he's always seen him. And the first time that we actually see this word mercy come up, we've seen God right from, good, excuse me, right from the beginning in Genesis when he makes everything, he says, it is good and then very good. But then this word mercy, actually, the first time it shows up is again back at Sodom and Gomorrah. When the, whenever the, the town is destroyed because of the wickedness. And, and Lot, what he says, whenever he's pulled out, he says, you, I found grace, grace in your sight and you have magnified mercy, which you have shown on to me. So the first time we see this word mercy is when the one righteous man is saved. Saving our life. So what King David is saying is this goodness and mercy, these two sheepdogs are pursuing me, they're pointing me back. And again, the goodness also means good things and prosperity and happiness in the confines of who God is. And mercy is love and kindness or faithfulness. God's goodness takes care of my step and his mercy takes care of my stumbles. God's goodness takes care of my step and his mercy takes care of my stumble. So if we consider these sheepdogs, part of what they do, when you watch these videos, they look very vicious. Their teeth are out, they're, they're barking, they're growling, they're chasing. You can watch this whole scene where the sheep try to run away and then the sheepdog circles around them, shows the teeth, and then it's like a cat and mouse game. But yet, the other dog comes around from behind for anyone who's straying behind. Because it's an extension of the good shepherd 
And continuing on and thinking about the good shepherd, if you remember, the sheep that is closest to the shepherd are the ones whose close relationship that they can sense and smell and hear as the good shepherd draws his breath. It's the sheep on the outside are the ones that primarily need more goodness and mercy, not necessarily because of anything outside of the fact that they are further away from the good shepherd. I know at least that's true for for me. Whenever I am close with God, whenever I am diligent in my devotion, whenever I am diligent in my prayers, whenever I'm diligent in showing kindness, and I know I use a lot of I, but whenever I surrender to God and do what he asked me to do, I sense his goodness and mercy. It's whenever I start to go away, do things on my own, that all of a sudden I start to think that it's God who's not good and God who's not merciful. It has nothing to do with the fact that God had never left. It's just that slow fade that tends to creep in. One of the notes I wrote down for myself, it's not necessarily that I choose bad things. I just choose other things. And God, his goodness meets our needs and his mercy forgives all of our faults and his goodness leads us to repentance and his mercy leads us to restoration. And that's essentially what it's all about. It's, it's not good for good sake. Here's a gift, which God gives us good gifts. Primarily, his best gift, his primary gift is to save our souls. And that's the goodness. It's the goodness that caused the prodigal son to come back home, and it's the mercy that ran to meet his son. So you remember the story of the prodigal son. We'll talk about that later this year. We'll go through that story. But if you remember, the prodigal son had left. He went to his father, and he said, give me my inheritance now, which in other words mean, I wish you were dead. Give me your money. And then he goes and goes into the world and spends it on all kinds of things and he continues to make poor choices, poor choices, so much so he's poor and then he ends up working at a pig pen and considering eating what the pigs ate and then finally he thought, maybe I can go back to my father and he can let me be a servant and I can at least have a meal. See, that goodness there was the, the, the prompting of God that calls back each and every one of us. And then it was mercy. It was the mercy. It was the sheepdog, the hound dog, if you will, that whenever the father saw the son walking back, I would imagine that his son, the prodigal son, had his head down thinking, what am I going to say to dad? What am I going to say to dad? Have you ever been there when you knew that you had to confess something and, and you think, how am I going to tell him? How am I going to tell him? How am I going to tell him? And then all of a sudden he looked up and there was his daddy running after him. So goodness caused the prodigal son to come back home and mercy ran out to meet him and that's what he offers us. Goodness is God's hand and mercy is God's heart. And God has made it clear that his sheep will desert him, sadly. And really, to see this goodness and this mercy of God, I think it's, I think we can, the first time that we see this, that as I was going through and considering the goodness and mercy and what it was all about, because the question is, is, yeah, but what about when I feel like fill in the blank? But what about when I 
am sad or hurting or have lost. What about that? Why well, I understand the prodigal son came back home because of the goodness and the mercy met him there, but right now I'm in the middle of, I don't, I don't even know what I'm in the middle of. And I think this is shown in Exodus when, when Moses goes up and, and sees God and meets with God. And I've, I've spent a lot of time considering this over, throughout Psalm 23. There's a lot of parallels that I had mentioned a little bit, especially considering uh, verse 5 when, when David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overruns or runs over and thinking that God the Father has prepared a table, he invites me in, but how many times I just run and grab a snack off the table and leave. And Moses, when God asked him to take off his sandals, not just because he's in the holy land in the presence of holiness, but to be here. So there's this whole back and forth, and to save time, I'll just give you the cliff notes of it. They're going back and forth, and Moses is very unsure of himself, and he's not necessarily unsure of God, but in his mind, he's thinking, how could God possibly use me? Which actually, by extension, is doubt of God. I know I've been there. Why me? Why would you use me? I'm not this or that. I'm comparing myself to this or that, and this is the Moses moment. And if you remember, he he asked God to show him self. Show me your glorious presence. So we'll pick up in Exodus 33, verse 18 and 19. Exodus 33, 18 and 19. Moses responds to God because he's still unsure. He says, then show me your glorious presence. He says, show me your glory. Give me, give me assurance. Show me your glory. And this is so fantastic. In verse 19, the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. Do you see that? Moses says, show me your glory. Let me make sure that this is real. And what does the Lord show him? I mean, if I was God, think Goodness, I'm not God. But I would say, watch these fireballs. Look at the lightning. Look at the flood. Look at the people I made. I mean, like, whatever it is. Like, I would be such a showboat. (laughs) But what does he show? Because, again, Moses is trying to get reassurance. What does he show him? He shows the Lord, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name Yahweh before you. And why this is so significant, you're like, okay, so he's calling out his name. The reason why Yahweh is spelt that well, that's our English way of spelling it out, that Jewish people at the time and even now did not even feel like they could say his name. Like it was untouchable. They were unworthy. They were afraid that they were going to die if they said the name of God. So what Moses experiences in his doubt 
is God's goodness come before him, all the while, perhaps, for the first time, hearing God's name? Now, if you're sitting here and you think, well, so what? All of God's goodness was there. In his name, he was there. So much so, if you remember, he, he, after he, he hides him behind the crevice in the rock because if any man should see in the face of God, they would surely die. The goodness was overwhelming. But yet, as he passed, he showed him all of his goodness, he called out his name, and he said, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. And essentially what he's saying here is, I choose you, Moses, regardless of your circumstances. Yes, I know the people that you killed. I know the wickedness of the people down below. I know all of it, but yet I choose you. I love you. That is my goodness. It's not that God is good. He is good. He, in his nature, is good. It's him. It's Yahweh in his name, his mercy and unfailing love. And in that mercy, hesed, is the Hebrew word which essentially means help to the needy. So if we read that, surely your goodness and the help to the needy will follow me all of the days of my life. Do you see at first, it almost seems like verse 6 in Psalm 23 is a statement of, of confidence, which it is. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I am a mighty warrior. Look at me, I'm King David. But really, if you look at in the context, surely the nature of God and his help for the needy will follow me all of my life. And that's us. That English equivalent help to the needy, it refers to a situation where, as Katie Scafenfield a Hebrew scholar says, it refers to a situation where a needy partner depends on another for deliverance and the deliverer does so freely out of all the finer spiritual sensitive instincts, his kindness, his mercy, his love, his loyalty, without cost to the person you're helping. So that's what David is talking about. Surely your goodness, that who you are is chasing after me, and I am so needy, but yet you still follow me. Essentially, it's his love on display. And then he writes, all the di- or, shall follow me all the days of my life. Shall follow me really could be translated pursues me. And it's actually a term that's primarily used when a bad guy is chasing a good guy, pursuing. It's usually when it's used... It's almost uh, the description, D.L. Moody, again, I appreciated his thoughts on pursuing. He said, have you ever seen a kid cry out to his mom at the outdoor mall and his mom drops everything and pursues her child? But if, you go, if we're going to go back to the sheepdog, which Philip Keller does, when does the sheepdog pursue the sheep? That's what he asked. And his, his extension in his sermon series, he asked that question, when does the sheepdog pursue the sheep? And as I was thinking about it, well, whenever they get out of line, whenever they start running off. But he said, he asked further, when the sheep are lost, is that when the sheepdog of grace and mercy, goodness and mercy, 
God's unfailing love comes after? When the sheep are in the herd, when the sheep are safely in the sheepfold, is that when the sheepdogs pursue? He says, no. God's goodness and mercy is always after us. Keeping with the idea of the good shepherd, he is not only after the flock as a whole, but as the individual. And not just whenever we're messing things up, but whenever we are here together, he is pursuing us with his goodness and his mercy. He is not only pursuing us to save us, to save us to have a right relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, but he's come to save us that in this life we may experience his grace and his mercy. I had mentioned this before, but I think it's worth repeating. Dallas Willard talked about, and he gives this description of whenever he dies, he hopes that it'll be a blink of an eye, and he thinks that he won't even realize that he's dead. And if you remember, I had mentioned that he was also shared this in a conference, and whenever he said, I don't, he said, I believe there are people here that when they die, they won't even know they're in heaven. People laughed at him. And he said, because they have been so in tune with God here on earth that when they wake up and they're in the presence of the Lord in heaven, they'll think only a second has passed and would say, hey, God, I was just talking to you. That's the goodness and mercy of God. So when David claims that these dual blessings of follow me, he is emphasizing a personal relationship shall follow me all the days of my life, not just the good days, the bad days, not just the days of the past or the days in the future, but the days today. The point is, is that the divine, as Philip Keller calls it, cares directly toward us now. He's not just generally good to anonymous group of nameless sheep in a non-specific general way. On the contrary, he says, David points out that God's focus is riveted upon the individual by name and the group as a whole. So as we consider this, it's this theological term that I think most theologians across the board on most denominations agree on the already not yet kingdom. The already not yet kingdom. And it's the idea that we have already been adopted in Christ now when we accept Christ from Romans 8.15, but not yet adopted, Romans 8.23, meaning once we come to a saving relationship to Christ, we are saved, we are adopted into Christ. But yet one day we will be in glory. And it goes on, we are already redeemed but not yet redeemed, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4. We're already sanctified, not yet sanctified. We're already saved in Christ, Ephesians 2.8, but not yet saved, Romans 5.9. All this meaning to say is we are saved by Jesus Christ now when we put our trust and belief in him and confess that he's the Lord and Savior, but yet one day we will be in glory. So as we consider this goodness and mercy, so... So if you're sitting here thinking, yes, I believe that God's goodness and his mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, but right now I am going through fill in the blank. Even if you're in here right now and you're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. It's a good day. Well, one day. So if we take this concept of that already not yet kingdom 
We are already adopted, we're already redeemed, we're already sanctified, we're already saved, and we're already raised, but yet we will fully be adopted, fully redeemed, fully sanctified, fully saved, fully raised from the dead with Christ, either when he takes us home or he comes and gets us. What does it mean now? So a couple of notes that I wrote down as I was considering the goodness of God and trying to pin it down. I wrote down, reflect on what God has done in the past. So I wrote down something that was bad and how he has redeemed it in the past. And I'm going to share a brief story about that in a moment. Specifically, what it is is write down the actual hardship or the bad thing and then write down what you saw that was good that came from it. Then reflect on the promise of the future, the goodness of the future, which is essentially God's word and his promises. His, his word is true and his promises are real. And the next thing is pray and ask about it. If you are in a hard situation, pray and ask God about it. It is okay to ask God why. God can handle your why questions. If you don't believe me, just read Psalms. David says, why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned your ear? Why have you turned my back? Why, 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 why? But don't stop at the why. Then ask, what am I supposed to learn here? Because if you follow along in the format of Psalms, that's, that's usually why I close out a service 99% of the times in the Psalm, is because it, within the Psalms you see all of the emotions that we have as humans, and yet all of the goodness that God can handle our emotions. So reflect on what God has done in the past, specifically a wrong or a hardship, a bad that you saw, and the good that came from it. Reflect on what God has promised in the future. Make sure you spend time God's word, and if you're in the middle of it, ask God why, and then ask, what am I supposed to learn here? And then I put dot, 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 and listen, and listen. Sometimes I get into the habit, I complain, and then I walk away. Anybody do that? My poor wife. But I do that with God. But why? So reflect on what God has done in the past, specifically a wrong or a hardship, a bad that you saw good come from it. So uh, for a lo- I grew up, as many of you know, I grew up without a father. I was very bitter. He was a career criminal. I can go into the details about that. He was a bad dude. There's no other way to explain it. And once I got to the age of realizing that he was a bad dude and then we were without him sometime around five years old, I, I got really upset with God in my five-year-old state of why I didn't have a God. This is unfair. Look at all these other people who have dads. It's unfair. They're not even as good as me. Like I said those things to God. So as I grew in maturity and the lack thereof, I was still bitter, still upset. And I was thinking, God, why didn't you give me a God? And, and, or give me a God. Give me a dad, God. Why didn't you give me a dad? And, and some of the things that I realized is what God was doing in that time was working on my ability to forgive people. But I didn't know that. So I was really upset, and I was thinking, why didn't you, why, 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 and all this comparison. And, and even there was one time, as I was going through the ups and downs of, of not doing that, pretending that there was no issue, then realizing there was an issue going back and forth. And even when my mom remarried, and I had a stepdad for a hot minute, as I call it, and that's no disrespect to my mom. That's just what happened is they were married, and he got hit in the head, and then was in a coma, and then he came back and had no emotional response. To anybody. 
So now I had two deads. Now I was net minus two deads. So I was still really praying about this, and I was thinking, why is this? What is going on? Why do I not have a dad? Why? And then, specifically, and I can see it as clear as day, in my senior year in high school, I was sharing that. Finally, I opened up about talking about it in, in my small group. And my youth leader at the time, Jerry Fishback, who I owe a great deal of a lot to, he said, well, perhaps you didn't have a dad, but something else filled in the gap. Like, is this a riddle, Jerry? What are you talking about? And then he, he encouraged me and he said, uh, the four years that you've been in my small group, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, I have seen you mature and rely on God, the Father. Oh, I've always had a father. So then that is what eventually led me to actually go into full-time ministries because I wanted people to know if you don't have a daddy, it's okay, you have a daddy. That was the whole reason. The whole reason. So then, yes, there's been ups and downs, and I've mentioned this. If I ever talk to you about something and I ask you if you've forgiven someone, I usually ask, have you really? And sometimes forgiveness is ongoing. I forgave my father, my biological father, that night with Jerry. I also had to forgive him again when I got married. I had to forgive him again when our son was born. I had to forgive him again when our daughter, Aria, was born. I didn't have to forgive him the third time because I had forgiven him. But I thought I had forgiven him. So this whole time I was thinking, God, well, you, you didn't give me a dad and I wanted a dad. But then when someone pointed out that God the Father had been my father all this time and that there were men in the church who stepped up and, and, and took me to camping and backpacking and all those other things that fathers are supposed to do. So going back to what can you do whenever you are considering the goodness and mercy of God is reflecting on what he has done in the past, specifically a wrong or a hardship that was bad that you saw good come from it. What good came from it was a relationship with him. What good came from it was my hope and desire to point people to God the Father. What good came from it is, I'm an okay dad sometimes. But what good came from it is the focus that God's goodness and mercy had pursued me even when I was upset with him and in the time with God. Now, you probably have a lot of questions and you want to ask a whole lot of things about my dad. I'm happy to share with him. I'm, I'm an open book. But for the sake of time, I think perhaps it's best to close with what A.W. Tozer said about God's goodness in his book called Knowledge of the Holy and he has a chapter, chapter 16, one of them, 15, 16. It's called The Goodness of God. And this is what he wrote. Christ walked with men on earth that he might show them what God is like and make known the true nature of God to a race that had wrong ideas about him. This was only one of the things he did while, he, while here in the flesh. But this he did with beautiful perfection. From him we learn how God acts towards people. The hypocritical, the basically insincere, will find him cold and aloof as they once found Jesus. But the penitent will find him merciful. The self-condemned will find him generous and kind. To the frightened he is friendly 
To the poor in spirit, he is forgiven. To the ignorant, considerate. To the weak, gentle. And to the stranger, hospitable. And then he would go on and talk about Christ walking here on earth is the full display of his great goodness and his mercy. So I don't know what you're going through, but I'd love to pray with you about it. We are going to receive communion this morning. Marcus will lead us in that. And then as we sing a couple more songs and consider the goodness and mercy of God, be willing to ask him why and then listen. Reflect on what he's done in the past and how he's turned it to good. And then make sure that you're spending time with him. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this time. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you that it follows us all of the days of our life, Lord. Thank you that you sent your son to walk here on earth to restore us, Lord. Thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your generous kindness. Thank you for um, just the way that you love us, Lord. And Lord, I do pray for anyone in here that is, is struggling or having a hard time with any kind of situation, Lord, that they would um, ask these questions of you and spend time with you and, and see that you are good and merciful. And that even though we may be in a season or a situation that is not good, that does not mean you're not there. And as... Um, Philip Keller mentions your, your sheepdog of goodness and mercy is chasing us and the fact that you are the good shepherd and you know us by name. So Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, Lord, we just comfort us by the way that only you can through your spirit. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we just want to praise your name. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.